Chapter 33 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Kyle Stadelhofer. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Pooley Makes Good. Today was the first day we didn't hold a meeting in our little clubhouse on the riverbank. The first day we missed for more than a year. We didn't even go to school today. And every boy had his daddy along with him when we did meet, up in the judge's office that he uses for a courtroom. It was the strangest meeting we boys ever attended, and, believe me, I shall never forget it, as long as I live. This court, said Judge Granberry, intends not to prosecute, but to investigate. A charge has been brought against the boy called Pooley. This charge nobody was willing to bring, so the sheriff made it out against the boy. To it for stealing certain monies said to have been taken from an old place known as Lonely House, up on Banklick Creek. I hope all of you understand this perfectly. He stopped speaking, while he let his gaze wander slowly around the crowd. I guess everybody there understood perfectly, because nobody said anything. Very well, Sheriff. Bring up the boy. Pooley leaped to his feet before the sheriff could move. I saw his father try to hold him, but Pooley was too quick. He stood before the judge's desk. Here I am, judge, he said quietly. Judge Granberry glared over the rims of his eyeglasses. So, he said, slowly nodding his head. So you are the young villain who stole all that money, eh? You don't look like a thief. But then, I have learned from experience in the courtroom that one never can tell by appearances. Do you know what those bags contained? How much gold there was all counted up? Do you know just how much you stole, boy? Not a cent. Pooley's reply came like a shot. His voice was clear and unafraid. The judge sat back in his chair and glared at him. What? he exclaimed, then turning to the sheriff. Did you hear that, sheriff? I hope he did, spoke up Pooley. I want to have this privilege, your honor. I want to tell just what I know about this gold. Oh, that isn't the only thing, broke in the judge, shaking his finger before Pooley's face. You've been a great source of annoyance to me, young fellow. You took it into your head that you could go around frightening the boys of our town, didn't you? You thought the boys in the little clubhouse on the riverbank would be afraid of you and your rowdy gang because you all rode around on ponies, eh? Tell me, please, if you can, where did you get the ponies, eh? You bought them with gold that you took out of some of the bags that you stole out of the lonely house, didn't you? There was something in Judge Granberry's voice that made me doubt his sincerity. And when I looked again in his eyes, 
I felt as though the judge did not mean to be as nasty as his words would lead one to believe. He was trying, Puli. But before Puli could answer, his father had stood up. I beg leave to make explanation there, said Puli's dad. The ponies that my boy used were not bought by him, Your Honor. I run the pony track up at the summer park. Out of season, my boy takes care of the ponies for me. And he does that work well. He and his pals were using my ponies, Judge. Judge Granberry nodded satisfied. All right, Mr. Poole, he said. Since you are testifying now, suppose you tell us what your boy means when, in spite of the fact that we all know he took the bags of gold out of the lonely house, he still says he did not steal a cent. Pooley's daddy shook his head. I cannot explain that, he said. But I can, spoke up Pooley. My father doesn't know, and it wouldn't do him much good if he did, because the money isn't his. It's mine, you see? Where's Secretary Hawkins? Is he here yet? I stood up and waved my hand once. I'm here, Pooley, I said, and then I sat down again next to my daddy, who was terribly embarrassed about me getting mixed up again in a court case. But Pooley was satisfied. Judge, he continued, I got proofs that I didn't steal a cent of that money. You admit that you put those bags of gold in the cliff cave, don't you? asked Judge Granbury. Yes, but it was all mine, Judge. You could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom between Pooley's last words and the judge's next question. Can you prove it? Yes, answered Pooley. Quickly and tugging inside his shirt, he brought forth a bundle of yellow faded papers. Here, Judge, he said. Here is the proof. Read it yourself. I cannot write good enough to tell you how I felt, how everybody in the courtroom felt when the old judge read the faded papers that Pooley handed to him. It was five minutes before the judge spoke again. Tell me how you came by these papers, boy, he said in a low voice. Well, judge, I had a gang. It was called the Knights of the Square Table, and we had our headquarters in the old lonely house. I had to be careful, judge, because my dad told me always to stay away from that lonely house. But it was a good place for my gang to meet, Your Honor, and one day I discovered a notch in the wall upstairs, in the room next to the tower, and I put my thumb in it, and it pressed something, and a door swung open, and I went into the room. It was a secret room, Your Honor, and I found these papers. You see what it says on the papers? Not to Laura B. Poole should the money go, but to his son, if he ever has one. That's the way the papers read, Judge. You saw it for yourself. Well, sir, Larrabee Poole is my father's name, and I'm his only son, you see. So I figured it out right away that it was my money, if I ever could find it. Well, you found it, didn't you? No, Judge, the old man found it, but I got it all away from him. All but a few sacks that my pal got when he found out I was fooling the old man. If I did wrong, just a moment, broke in Judge Granbury. Let your daddy explain this. Mr. Poole, 
Just what is the truth of all this? Puli's dad looked sad. He rose slowly from his chair and advanced a few steps. The boy told you the truth. He began in a low voice. My name is Larrabee Pool. My father lived in the lonely house. He never liked me, Your Honor, and sent me away when I was a little chap. He put me in a school where I was treated like an orphan. I knew when I grew older that he had plenty of money, but never did I dream that there was so much. When I realized how unkind he had been, I swore never to go near him or the house again. I have kept my word to this day, and I don't want a penny of that money. If those papers are genuine and legal, and if they give this wealth to my boy, it is all right. I want him to have it. He's been a good boy, Judge. He wouldn't take a thing that didn't belong to him. I know my boy. As he stopped speaking, he turned toward Puli, and their eyes met. There was a happy expression on Puli's face, but his father's eyes were wet. And he turned his face after a moment and brushed his lashes with his kerchief. The judge coughed and said, <coughs> "Yes." <clears throat> At that moment, I saw Doc Waters step hurriedly into the hall. He came back almost immediately with Mr. Jefferson, and between them walked the old man who had lived in the lonely house for three months. Every eye in the courtroom turned upon the old bent figure as he shuffled forward between the two men. He seemed not to notice the crowd of people that had gathered in the room. But all of a sudden, he gave a little cry, and pulling away from Doc and Jefferson, he bobbled over to Puli's daddy. And clutched his arm. Larry, he cried in a cracked voice. I've been looking all over for you, Larry, Larry, for twenty years, for twenty years. I saw Pooley's daddy reach out and catch the old man. There was a shadowy smile upon his face as he patted the old man's shoulder. Gralerio. He said softly, "And I didn't want you ever to find me, Grillario. It's all over. Let's let the dead past sleep. You are a grand old man. You haven't changed at all since I was a little boy, and you took me round with you when you worked for my father, and he was too busy for me. He never liked me, Grillario. That is why I never wanted to see him again." That is why I never wanted you to find me. You see. The old man's face was happy, but the deep wrinkles that ran like furrows upon his skin were filled with flowing tears as he patted the hand of Puli's daddy. He was about to speak again, when the judge spoke. This court is adjourned. All of you who have no business here had better get out and leave us. This case. Is settled. What they did in that courtroom after that, I never knew. I went right home with my dad, and he gave me an awful lecture on the subject of keeping out of trouble. Suspicion, he said, was almost as bad as being charged with something. Only that when you are charged and you're not guilty, you've got a chance to prove it. While if somebody has a suspicion against you, there's no way to remove it. Because nine times out of ten, you don't even know you're suspected, 
and those who suspect just keep their thoughts to themselves. But my pop knows that I'll take care of myself. So I said goodbye to him. He had to go up to his office again, and I walked slowly down to the little old clubhouse on the riverbank, intending to write down in this book just what I could remember took place in the courthouse. I thought I'd be all alone. But when I came in sight of the clubhouse, I saw a boy waiting for me on the steps of the porch. It was Shadow Loomis. Hello, Hawkins, he said in a weak voice. And I could tell by the red around his eyes that he had not yet stopped thinking about his poor old Rolling Stone brother, John, who had fallen to his death in the cliff cave pit. I've been waiting here for you an hour. I just couldn't come to that courthouse. Everything has gone wrong, it seems. The world looks upside down to me. Ah, oh, cheer up, Shadow, I said, unlocking the door. Come in and talk a while. When I had lit the lamp on my desk and we were seated facing each other, he opened up. You're the only boy I can talk to now, Hawkins, he said. I think I got a lot to answer for the way I treated John, poor fella, dead. I can't believe it, Hawkins. Seems like it can't be. I sighed. Shadow, I said, someday you're going to find out that this world is full of two things, good and evil. You're going to find out that no matter what we do, good and evil is going to have a hand in it. And sometimes the good wins, and sometimes the evil gets the best of it. It's just the same way with you and poor old John. I know how you feel. I always told you John was all right, but you wouldn't believe me. Why? Because the evil in your mind was stronger than the good. God knows these things best, Shadow, and he takes care to see that we learn our lesson. I don't want to rub it in, boy. You've been a good friend of mine. But I wish you would see. Somebody's coming. There was a step outside. The curtains parted, and one of our boys hesitated in the doorway. Ah, it's you, Herb, I said. Come on in. Shadow and I were just talking about... Herb Acom stepped in and allowed the curtains to fall together behind him. About him? He asked with a little jerk of his head. I thought so. I wanted to come and tell you, and I'm glad Shadow is here too. About Rags, I mean, the boy with the scar. My brother, broke in Shadow, with a little catch in his voice. I didn't know he was your brother, said Herb, although I might have known. You see, he did me a good turn once, and I never forgot. I promised I'd do anything for him in turn. And what do you think he asked of me? We both shook our heads. He asked, continued Herb, that I keep my eyes on Shadow Loomis. And when at a given signal, which only he and I understood, he would be waiting in the forest. 
I was to come and answer any questions he might ask about you. I always did. He always asked how you were getting along. He always wanted to know whether or not you had said anything about him. And every time I told him you hadn't, he seemed so disappointed. And he always made me promise that I would see that not one of Puli's gang ever hurt you. Now, I've told you all that I think I have to tell. I wanted it off my chest. I didn't know he was your brother then, not until after he fell into the cave pit. But I wanted you to know that he was a true blue brother to you, Shadow. Shadow sprang up and caught Herb's hand. You don't know how much I appreciate that, Herb, he said. Perhaps I'll be able sometime to pay you back. But Herb waved him back and shook his head. No, he said, for tonight I resigned from the club. I only stayed to do what I promised him I'd do. And besides, I brought a lot of trouble on this clubhouse. If I hadn't come, Pooley's gang would never have had it in for you boys. So I guess I'd better be going. My papa is sending me to St. Allen's College. I asked him to. Maybe next summer when I come back. Poor old Herb. He didn't want to go away. I could see that. He couldn't talk further. He gave us one swift look, and then, with a sharp salute of his right hand, he turned and went swiftly out. For a minute there was a silence as I opened my book and began to write. Shadow thrust his hands into his pockets and walked over to the window. There came from the river the deep sound of a steamboat whistle. River's thought out, Hawkins, said Shadow without turning from the window. There goes the Hudson Lee. Yeah, I said, without stopping my writing. Spring'll be on the way soon now. It's the last freeze that's thawing. My pen went scratching across the page, line after line. Finally, I heard Shadow move from the window. The next minute, his hand was upon my shoulder. Hawkins, he said, we've come pretty close to losing our clubhouse again. And what was the cause? The cliff gave, I said. When Stoner's boy went down into the pit, we lost our clubhouse, and now I understand that Doc Waters saved us. When John fell, the old judge was bent on making us boys disband and scatter. But Doc Waters talked for us and told the judge we were really his junior police. So we are lucky. Shadow mused. Lucky, yes, perhaps, he said. Some of us are lucky, but poor old Rolling Stone is gone, Hawkins. He was really a fine fellow. If it hadn't been for the cliff cave, let me suggest something, will you? Let's do this before the judge tells us to. Let's go down to that cave tomorrow and seal it up tight so that it will be closed up forevermore, which we did. End of chapter 33 End of the Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins